you would please turn to 2 Corinthians 10. We are looking at the first six verses. Please follow in the reading of the Word of God. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I, who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent, I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Please pray with me, Father, that you would teach us that your spirit would bring the word alive and powerful into our souls. And that your gospel would go forth with the power with which you presented it. And that, Father, we would rest in the assurance that it will accomplish exactly what you sent it out for. Help us to hear, Lord. Help us to see. To your glory and praise. In Christ's name. Amen. We are looking at victory and spiritual war. Basically, 10 through the end of the book is what the Apostle Paul is going to deal with. Uh, He has changed his topic. That's where you see the word now in verse 1 meaning that I am going to take on something completely different. He talked about the restoration of the relationship in chapter 7 and 8 and 9, the ministry that they had already begun and to now see to completion. And in verse 10, he comes back to dealing with what I call the remnant of the murmurings, the remnant of those who had falsely accused the Apostle Paul that had set up the framework that the reason the severe letter had to be written. And uh, the severe letter we don't have. It was written in between First and Second Corinthians. And um, now he's coming back, explaining to him the view of a uh, warrior. And these first six verses, I've heard a lot of people tell me, you know, you go to Ephesians and you'll see, put on the helmet and the breastplate and the shield and the sword of truth and you get ready to rock and roll and everybody... I've heard all kinds of sermons on that. It's just wonderful and tickles me all over. When I look at these first six verses, I see what is mandatory for spiritual victory. This would be something that you would put on and never leave. You wouldn't take it off. You have to have this for victory. I see a lot of people over the next few months, we will look at who our adversary is. Okay. Uh, we will also look at what the war is and what is the weapons of our war. But if you don't have these first six verses, you're sitting duck. I don't care if you know who the adversary is. I don't even care if you know what his techniques are. I don't care if you know who his disciples are. If you don't have this, you will be defeated every time. Please hear me. This is crucial. The Apostle Paul is going to tell him in chapter 13 that he's coming back third time. 
He wants to come back with a complete repentance of the complete congregation. But see, Paul's smart enough to know that once you step into spiritual war and you've had this conflict among the saints, he's smart enough to understand that when that happens, you always have that little remnant sitting along the edges, just waiting, just waiting. I have been in the church long enough. I have been in leadership long enough to experience this. Uh, how shall I say this? A plethora of times. Well, people, for whatever reason, cop an attitude. They know you're wrong and they're right. And they may not have any clue what they're doing. And they lay around and they murmur. They exercise the spiritual gift of murmur. It's a, it's a wonderful gift. And it is readily available to all who would seek it. The Apostle Paul understood this, and he's coming back, and he's telling them that he's coming back. But one of the things that he understood that victory in a spiritual war is that he had to be compassionate. He uses this phraseology, meekness and gentleness of Christ. See, that is compassion. That is compassion. Listen, he knew the character of his Lord. Okay? I had the opportunity and the privilege many years ago to meet a uh, he was actually my neighbor, first generation Green Beret. It was President Kennedy had established special forces out of the uh, uh, army out of Fort Bragg, and um, Timmy was a uh, Green Beret, and uh, had been did two tours in Vietnam, and he came out and became a high school teacher. I thought, one war to the other. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so just didn't get enough of that, did you? Okay. Um, what was amazing about Tim was that he makes me look big. Okay. Probably wasn't 130 pounds soaking wet. Okay, and he was special forces, worked with the mountain yard in Vietnam, the mountain people. And if you looked at there was nothing intimidating about this guy. There was nothing there that you could say, oh, back up. Because, see, when we look today, we have in our mindsets the warriors are Rambo or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Great big thick neck guys that can't clap their hands. Okay, there is a warrior. I seen a picture of my son. You guys, many of you know my son. He ain't big as a post. And I saw him what his standard parachute equipment for a tactical infantry movement was. And you just sit and you look at it and you think, what happened? You just hit the ground and sink. Because <laughs> he's got the, I couldn't believe it. Okay, I mean, he, he's got, they call it a kit, okay, and it's armor plating, and it's 80 pounds, okay? He's got two parachutes, front and back, okay? And then he's got his bag and his rifle. He was squad rifleman, so he had to carry uh, an M14 and an M4 carbine. He said he didn't mind carrying two rifles, he says, but the 308 round that was in that M14 was heavy, and he says, you just hope you could get into a quick firefight so you could get your load down. And I look at my son and I'm like, he ain't as big as a post. And you see him standing there and you see these 
little bitty face stuck out of all of this stuff. And you're like, well, that would frighten the enemy, wouldn't it? Okay, but you just, but you've always got it in your mind that true soldiers look like Sylvester Stallone. Okay, and the truth of the matter is, a true soldier is one of the most compassionate human beings you'll ever run into. Okay, they have, when I look at those two words, we looked at this last week, meekness and gentleness. There's a humility that is in there. But it is also power that is under control. And let's be realistic. How much power does Christ have? All of it. And he has it under control. If you don't believe me, why are you still alive? Okay, because you're deserved of not being. Probably a few times deserved not being. And yet he has it under control with patience, gentleness, and humility. The Apostle Paul knew this. The, you know, and you've got to think about it. On the Damascus Road, Jesus appears to him and he says, My Lord, my Lord. <laughs> you know, he's like, uh-oh, got caught with my hand in the cookie jar. Okay, he understood it and then was blinded and yet received his sight back when he got to Damascus. So he understood mercy and gentleness. Okay, because that scared him to death. And I'm, duh. <laughs> okay, to find out you're on the wrong track and you were on the wrong tra- track with energy. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and you will learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Okay, if you're going to go into spiritual battle, which means if you're saved, you are going to go into spiritual battle. You're either in the battle right now, you're either headed for the battle right now, or you're coming out of the battle right now. You don't get any options in it. You want to learn how to be humble. You want to learn how to be gentle. You want to learn how to be meek. You want to learn what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Power under control. Matthew's Gospel also in chapter 12, verse 20 And he quotes Isaiah, and this is a fascinating text because it's a messianic text. He says, a battered reed he will not break off. A smoldering wick he will not put out. Battered and bruised. It's beaten up. What do we usually do to it? Throw it away. Okay, a smoldering wick means it doesn't have enough to cause a fire, but you can see a little glow there with a little smoke coming off of it. What do we usually do? That's not compassion. The Messiah will be compassion. He will not break it off and he will not put it out. He will try to restore it. What do we do? The Apostle Paul understood that he was going back into a place of possible conflict. He wasn't sure what the Corinthians. He knew that in general, the congregation... That relationship had been restored. He understood that. But he also says, I'm coming back, but I'm going to come back in the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Why? Because I know that there are still some there who are accusers. And I hope that you read this letter because you'll get about three and a half, four months before I show up face to face. 
then I really don't want to come back there with a rod. Because have you ever watched it? Have you ever seen it in action in a church? Where you just get one person, they get their proverbial underwear in a bunch, and they'll find one person that they can, I'll call. And I'll just discuss this with you. Because I'm not really judgmental or anything. I'm not wanting to start anything or anything. But you know, I'm hurt. And that's where it lays. Okay? And then... That person finds another person. Then you got a little group. And then you get a church split. It grows. And it's never done maliciously. It's like when the people come into my office and say, Terry, first of all, I want you to know how much we love you. Okay? Because I'm about to stick you. Okay? And you know what? It's, it's, it, I always see that. You just kind of giggle saying, here we go. Okay? Do you, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? And, and Paul understood this. He understood how the body of Christ, especially when there was a schism in it to start with. Go read 1 Corinthians, first six chapters. This place was a mess. He doesn't come to crush the already bruised. He does not come to extinguish those who are feel burned out. John 8, they catch a woman in adultery, which has always been a fascinating phrase to me. What are you, peeping toms? <laughs> what was up with that? But they catch her in the act of adultery. And they bring her to Jesus. And he says, first of you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And it says, no man condemns you. And Jesus looks at her and says, nor do I. But he makes this statement. Sin no more. Now, now think about it. The law of the Lord says, if you're in adultery, what do you do? You stone them. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you. And yet he tells everybody, I am not here. I am here to fulfill the law. That's forgiveness. That is the compassion that comes forward. I I hear a lot of people talking about forgiveness and have no idea how to exercise it. I remember reading Charles Spurgeon, his uh, lectures to his students. And he said, should I ever fall, please hand me over to the harlots and the barkeeps. They will have more mercy than the church. And I thought, you know what? He's right. He's right. We like to parade and shoot our wounded. Let me parade it outside and shoot it so you can see we're serious. I've seen some say that Jesus had a disregard for the law. And you know what? That is one of the most ignorant statements I've ever heard in my life. But Jesus was always ready to forgive. God has always been ready to forgive. Do you hear me? I have 66 books of patiently waiting in forgiveness. Patiently waiting in forgiveness. He patiently waits year after year, decade after decade. 
Paul is saying he, sh- he knows the character of his Lord and he knows that he is ready to forgive. And when a sinner finally comes and repents, there is absolute love and forgiveness. It's absolute. It isn't, well, I'll wait and see. I know some of you have said that. We'll just wait and see. If the person comes and asks for forgiveness, what are you going to do? Oh, we'll wait and see. I don't think it's real. Really? If they ask for forgiveness, it's real. If they fall again, what do you do? Pick them up. If the wick is smoldering, what do you do? Light the flame. If the reed is bruised, might as well just crush it. You go over one of the my. I like Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, because it is the uh, royalty of Jesus Christ, and uh, it is just it's just an awesome book. And chapter twenty three is probably one of the most um, blistering um, confrontations of spiritual people. That you would ever get. Jesus spoke to the crowds, the scribes and Pharisees, having seating themselves in the chair of Moses. Now look at how he starts this. They put themselves in, in every synagogue. There's this place called the chair of Moses. I've been in multiple synagogue and there's a stone chair there. It's got a little high back on it. And supposedly that is the biblical authoritarian. He knows what the Bible says. And that is the chair of Moses. He makes the judgment if there's ever a conflict. Okay. Therefore, all they tell you to do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. When they give you the word, do it. Do not act like them. Now, do you know what he just did? I mean, you got the religious spiritual leaders of your nation. And he says, all that they tell you of the Bible, yes, do those things. Observe those things. But whatever you see them doing, don't do that. You know, it goes downhill from there. I mean, he starts it off. He says, I'll just give you a slap in the chop, but I'm about to bop you right in the end of your nose. They tie heavy burdens and lay upon men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. They do all their deeds to be noticed by men. They broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels on their garments. They love the places of honor at banquets. Uh, these are the, the, the grandiose people. We got a bunch of them in this, this town. They drive me nuts. Okay? And they stand out like a sore thumb. I have a very sore thumb today. I know exactly what it means. I took a shot of nail into the meaty part of my hand just to see if it really would work. Sounds like a good excuse. And I, am I... Thumb. Today is the best that it's felt. I didn't realize how much I needed my thumb. But, but I, I listen to people, and, and when I say it's like a sore thumb, when I see people wanting the place of preeminence, they don't hide it. They don't hide it. The religious leaders, that's what they were doing. I want to show you how great I am. I run into people all the time. I was just reading an article I shared in the Sunday school class on our conscience. And we have people with weak consciences. And all of them tend to think that they are spiritually more mature. And the truth of the matter is a weak conscience is a liability. Because you start having things bother you that don't need to bother you. Okay, listen, anybody get their underwear up, kind of uptight over politics? 
Let me ask you a question. Who raises up governments and tears them down? So why is that bothering you? You see what I mean? I, I, that doesn't bother me. Why? But see, we get our conscience gets going in there and we, well, I just can't believe this. Well, you know what? I can. Go read Judges. Okay? But I, I, I that's not worth my sweat. I mean, I, I like to watch people open their mouth and remove all doubt. Okay? You know, I thought you were dumb. Now you've proved it. Okay? He goes through this, and in verse 13, he says, Woe to the scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. Okay, the word woe there, you know what that word is? What it means? Cursed. You're cursed. Now think about it. you got the religious leaders standing there with the public, and he says, cursed are you. Wow. And he goes on. Woe to the scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You devour the widows' houses for the pretense you make long prayers. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte who becomes one of you and you make him twice as much a son of hell. Now that's how to influence friends. Right? Fools, blind men, what more? The gold of the temple or sanctified gold? I mean, he just, he just lays them to waste. Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. The word hypocrites is the word we get actors from. You're actors. For you tithe the mint and the dill and the cumin and neglect the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Blind Pharisees clean the inside of the cup. I mean, he just goes on and on. Now remember, he's got this big, massive crowd of people standing there, and he is just making everybody warm and fuzzy. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers... We would not have been partners with them in the shedding of the blood. So you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered a prophet. Then he goes into it and says, Fill then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpents, brood of vipers. How will you escape the sentence of hell? That's pretty serious. He's got all these people here and he's just made them all his buddy. Okay, but I want to show you something because I told you he is compassionate. Verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under his wings and you were not willing. See, that is a great, noble soldier. One who will always have victory in spiritual war. Why? Because his compassion is first and foremost. Many, as with Paul, saw his compassion as a weakness. Now, I want to go back to our text because this is one of the things that happens in our day and age today. Back to verse 1 of chapter 10. 
meekness and gentleness of Christ. But then there's like a, almost a parenthetical statement is hung in there. And this is my favorite part of the Apostle Paul. We're going to get along so well in heaven. He, it is dripping with sarcasm. Remember what he said. I, Paul. Myself. Remember how he started it? That's my authority. Look what he says. I, who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absence. Hmm. Bold when absent. This is sarcasm. He is repeating the accusation of those who have yet to repent. Okay. He's setting the stage for a strenuous defense. And if you're really honest with yourself, the greater the defense, the more the sarcasm, the more strenuous that defense will be. Okay. Okay. There's an irony. Paul is weak and meek when face to face. Okay, remember, he'd gone back the second time. People made accusations in the congregation. It broke his heart. Nobody in the church stood up to defend him and he left. And so he didn't defend himself. He didn't confront these people. And he just left with his tail between his legs. So he is just weak. But when he's not there, he writes the severe letter. Right? Look at verse 10. Speaking of some in this congregation. For they say his letters are weighty. Remember the severe letter. His letters are weighty and strong. But his personal presence is inimpressive. And his speech is contemptible. He won't defend himself when he's face to face because he's a wimp. Okay? He has no courage. He won't face the issue. If we were wrong in accusing him, why didn't he defend himself? Right? When he's face to face, he was compassionate, tender. I call it a healthy humility. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3? I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Because he knew what was going on. He'd already had two correspondents. He'd gone back. In between the severe letter in 1 Corinthians, he'd gone back. And that's when they accused him. They're not dealing with sin. They're embracing false teachers. And they're all sitting around, sipping their tea, listening to the accusations about the Apostle Paul. Okay, the Apostle Paul, and there's something I want you to think about. Paul is amazing to me. See, he understood. Remember, he said, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Okay, see, he knew that was true in his humanity. He understood that completely. Do we understand that? That in our humanity, there is weakness, fear, trembling. He had no confidence in his own physical ability. None. No confidence. He had no confidence in his own philosophy. He had no confidence in his own mental abilities. He had no confidence in his own intellect. He had no confidence in his own wisdom. Those are all temporal things. He understood that completely. Too many in the body of Christ today don't understand that. They think that, you know, I've arrived. I know a lot. I've read a lot. I've sat under great teaching. I know 
what is being said. And they put confidence in their own flesh. And you know what? The enemy will always take spiritual humility as someone who has no confidence in his person. And he'll turn it into a weakness. They'll turn it into a negative. Listen, you got to understand something. Even today, okay, Israel is looking for Messiah. They were looking for Messiah when Jesus came. And they were, what were they looking for? They were looking for a king, a ruler. He's going to ride into town on a great charger with cavalry mounted bowmen, swordsmen, and he will kill the Romans. Jesus came in on the colt of a donkey with 12 half-hard disciples. You know what? That's tough for the Jews to swallow. And yet that's what they're looking for now. They are looking for a political leader who will come and stop all of their adversaries. He's going to come back the next time and the quarrel will be over. When he came in on the colt of a donkey, that was on a Sunday. Their conclusion was, let's kill him by Friday. Because that can't be our Messiah. I mean, they were all mad. They put up above his head one of the charges against him. He was king of the Jews. They expected a king. He was supposed to come in and conquer everything. No one would be able to stand in front front of his path. He would have massive military powers. He could have called a legion of angels. If Paul is great in his authority, what's with all of this humility? One of the things that I've watched, I told you I love history, right? And I, I watch it playing out right now in front of us. Um, one of the great tragedies that exists in history is the pride of man. Wars are always based on that issue. Always. Okay? It's, and I don't care what you want to call it. It's the pride of man. One man thinks he's smarter than the other man, and I will call your bluff. I hear that. We, we call it today saber-rattling. Okay? You know what? That's what they were expecting from the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul was patient. He was compassionate. And he was meek. Okay? If you look at the great leaders, whether even political, political leaders or uh, military leaders, they all have one thing in common. They're all humble. They're all humble. I remember sitting down in, um, was it Colorado Springs? Uh, there was a convention thing down at the convention hall. And one of the speakers there, the one that I wanted to go see was uh, Storman Norman. Norman Swartzkopf. Now, he's a bear of a man. I mean, you, you sort of, oh. That's a little bigger than I was expecting. He's, he's, he's a pretty, pretty, pretty good-sized guy. But one of the things that I noticed about him amazingly was how humble he was. You know, there were some question and answers were taking place on uh, desert. I don't remember which desert something or other. Shield storm, blister, I don't know. Um, and he said, he says, 
God in heaven gave me the greatest group of soldiers that the world has ever seen. But it is only by the grace of God that they performed to their utmost ability. And I thought, you just don't hear that very often. You just don't hear that very often. And I thought, you know, that, that's a man that, that understood that I have a task that's set before me. I am not adequate for this task. God help me. Paul understood this. He'd already told him, now I, Paul, myself urge you. I, Paul, myself beg you. Okay? I don't want to make war. I want to come. In the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. But then he quotes their sarcastic statement, accusation against him. He says, you say I am meek when face to face. You say I'm a wimp when I'm face to face. But bold to you when I'm absent. I get brave when I'm distant from you. Because you'll see the word bold there. Verse 2 says, I ask that when I am present, I need not be Bold. Same word. I don't want to fight. I don't want to do that. Okay? You know, when he, when he gets behind his ink pen, his fountain pen, rock solid. Boy, you see him face to face. He's girly boy. No, it's not Paul. When weak when in the face means that he lacked courage. Really? He bore on his body the marks of Christ. See, they, and, and you see this a lot today. Look at our political arena that's going on right now. A lot of people misunderstand compassion and they misunderstand boldness. They misunderstood Paul's compassion, his meekness, his gentleness. And they misconstrued it as Weakness. Okay. They use this to accuse him. And you know what? I look at it and as you fight the adversary, it is an extraordinarily good accusation. Okay. Because if you think about it for the Apostle Paul, it's hard to answer. How do I answer it? I am meek and compassionate as he who has called me into service. How do I answer it when you say, I don't have no courage. He has no confidence. He has no boldness. That's why part of this section is so long. It's very complex to defend the strength from a distance. How do you defend it? You know, one of the things that I've had the privilege to be around some phenomenal men of God. And one of the things that I find is, is that when you take them from behind the pulpit and you sit down and you have dinner with them or you're just chit-chatting, they're very humble. They're very gentle. They're very quiet. They're astonishing. I mean, I have sat down with Stephen Olford at dinner. Very quiet, tender man. I sat down with Spiro Zodiades and, and spent the day with him traveling around Colorado and eating and all the rest. Very gentle, very peaceful, very meek. And yet I have heard both of them preach and it's like heaven opens up and God's yelling at you. And yet they walk away from the pulpit and it's meekness and gentleness, humility. 
Same with Dr. MacArthur, R.C. Sproul. You, 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 man, you just, you sit in awe of these guys. And, you know, I remember one time meeting with R.C., uh, Dr. Provost, and, and uh, Dr. MacArthur, and we sat down for dinner, and I, I freaked me out. I was scared to death. I didn't even know how to, I was, we were going to eat ribs, and I was like, how do you eat ribs and not make a mess of yourself and look like a pig? And uh, then I noticed they were eating ribs and looking like a pig. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm feeling great. Grace is for all. And all they want to do is ask about me. Now think about that for a second. They want to know what I was doing. How did I get to where I am? Who is, you know, I listen. Who do I read? And I, whoever you guys recommend, I read. And I mean, and they always want to know, what are you doing in Russia? How are you doing? And, and, and I'm sitting there going, you guys are reaching the world. I can't even crack a dent in Castle Rock. And yet, they were more concerned about me and my ministry. And I'm like, dude, I, I can put everybody in my church in a bus. And it ain't one of them big buses. How do you defend strength from a distance? And uh, Paul tries to defend his weakness while he was there. I was there with you in weakness. But how do you defend yourself? You know, I think about the people and some of the things that have been said about me that are atrocious. Uh, I, I, I can't use. Really? OK, and I'm not there. I've been around too long in this church. I don't really want to go into all the details, but I've been attacked multiple times for yeah, multiple reasons. None of them were true. And I got to the point that when I defend myself, here's my 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 simple defense. Compare the fruit. I don't have to defend what I'm doing. Just look at the fruit. Okay? No matter what he says, in this position, it will confirm the accusation. I mean, if he writes in 2 Corinthians, you guys are a bunch of idiots, I'm going to come back here and whoop every one of you. They'll say, see, he's bold because he's not here with us. So he can't win. He says he is strong. And sure, he is timed, he is compassionate. But he, let's be realistic, he's going to catch 22. If I try to defend myself from a distance, then you say, see, we were right. Paul deals carefully from chapter 10 all the way through the end of the book. Why? He wants to show that strength to weakness are welded together. They are together. There's a time to be strong. There's a time to be weak. There's a time to speak. There's a time to shut up. To be quiet. And we don't understand that. We, You know what? If I had to defend myself every time there was an accusation, I'd never get anything done. Why? I've been in this town too long. I've been in this town too long. You know, a prophet is without honor in his own town. No, I'm not Jesus. Okay? But, but you hear these kind of things and everybody's, you know, well, you can't be doing it right. Look how small you are. Everybody else is massive. You know, I, I didn't have the heart to put you guys $22 million in debt. How's that? Thank you. 
Listen, if you don't understand strength and weakness are welded together, okay, let me ask you a simple question. When I talk about this humility and yet the power is there, think about this for a second. Are you ready? The power of God in frail humanity. Tell me that the strength and weakness are not together. It's a tender warrior. It's a compassionate soldier. Carefully dealt with. Dealt with. That's what he's going to deal with. The mix of weakness and strength, compassion and conflict. When you see that word bold, that's what he's talking about. I can be bold. You say that I'm not bold when I'm with you. But he says when I come back, I'll be ready for bold. But you're going to get about three months, three and a half months to repent. Now listen, that's the stuff of true hero. True hero. A true hero, hero fully shows uh, in the perfect mix of strength and weakness, compassion and courage. Listen, this is part of what a victor is dressed in for spiritual warfare. Now listen, I want to close with this last thought. Okay? You know how I spot somebody who is spiritually victorious? Meekness and gentleness of Christ. Okay. They have a weakness and a humility. And they don't have to prove it to nobody. They don't have to defend themselves. And that's how you spot a soldier of the Lord who has victories. If it's not there, there's not going to be any victory. Okay. Because if it's not there, the weapons of their warfare is their flesh. How well does the flesh stand up in spiritual conflict? It doesn't stand up at all. Now listen, I'm not telling you it doesn't hurt. I have been called worse things as a Christian than I ever was as a lost man. Okay? So, you've been warned. First thing we have to understand for victory in spiritual war, compassionate. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and the amazing path that he lays before us. Thank you that he looked at your character and he understood your meekness and your gentleness. And yet, Father, when he looked at the bruiser, he did not break it. When he looked at the smoldering wick, he did not try to extinguish it. Father, may we look at the character of our Lord and our Savior, knowing that we are an infusion of the power of God and the frailness of humanity. Help us. Help us to rest in the assurances of what you've accomplished, what you've done. May we understand compassion and courage. May we understand strength and weakness. And may we surely, fully, completely show the perfect mix of both. May we be seen as followers of Christ. In His glorious name, Amen.